Mac Power Users, episode 581, Workflows with Stephen and David. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks. I am joined this week by my co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. How are you today, Stephen? I'm good, David. How are you? Uh, I uh, live in the dream, baby. Live in the dream. Yeah. I I can feel (laughs) the end of this COVID stuff coming. You know, it's like, it's not here yet, but I feel like, you know, people are getting vaccinated. Disneyland has announced their reopening at the end of April. And even though I probably won't be there right away, I am excited about that more than I thought I'd be. So it's like a big indicator, right? Yeah. Oh, oh, things are. Yeah, I I feel the same way. You know, spring. I know you don't have seasons, but here we do. And it's like springtime now. It's been like in the 60s and 70s and the flowers are blooming. I am traditionally a fall kind of person. Like fall, autumn is my favorite season. But this year I'm just like, bring on spring. Yeah, this is a good year for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, and and there's some really fun stuff going on with Apple right now. It's really weird stuff. Like Apple is canceling products left and right with no explanation. We're going to talk about that today on more power users. But uh for today's show, what I wanted to talk about was uh, we, workflows and you know, the episode title we got work in quotes because both you and I do a bunch of stuff we really don't talk about much on the show. Like I run a law practice, you run a podcast network, and we're always asking other people how they manage their workflows. But I thought it'd be fun to kind of bounce back and forth on some key workflows you and I are using that doesn't really have an opportunity to come up on the show. And uh, the outline came together really good. I think we've got a lot of great content today. Yeah, I think we do. You know, it is interesting because Mac Power Users the podcast, you know, fits into what we do on a larger scale, but sort of within the world of MPU, we don't visit those other areas. So I'm excited to talk about this. Uh, When you brought this up in our last planning call, it was definitely one I was uh, looking forward to a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So let's dig in. And um, we're going to start out with, uh, we've got categories here, and I think we'll start out with communications because that's just such a part of the world these days. Let's talk a little email. Yeah, it is a thing. Um, I've I've mentioned this before, but for Relay FM, we use Slack internally. So for me, nine times out of ten, the the email is all external. So it's you know it's things like sponsors or uh, members. So if you're a Relay FM member of any show, if you email like the support address, that comes to me, and I answer them personally. Uh, I take a lot of pride in getting back to people quickly and trying to uh, make sure everyone's happy. And, and so for me, email is outward facing, uh, not inward facing. And uh, that means that I keep a a pretty close eye on it because if something comes to, uh, comes in, I want to make sure that it's handled as, as quickly as possible. Yeah. Where, and are you doing it through, what's your email technology at this point? Yeah. So relay is on uh, Google apps, G suite, you know, whatever they're calling it. Uh, and that's where we've been since, since pretty much day one. Um, we tried fast mail initially and it just didn't, it didn't really work out for us uh, primarily because we needed other stuff that you just get with Gmail, um, you know, contacts and calendars and all those sorts of things uh, that really worked better for us. And so we've been on Google for, you know, the vast majority of the time the company has been around 
And that has worked uh, really well for us. Um, I just use the default mail applications. My business partner, Mike Hurley, uses Spark because of some of the the stuff you can do around an email. And he, he's in the he and Carrie, our sales manager, work together on advertising. So they use some of the features that Spark has on top of mail. But uh, for me, just the plain old Apple email gets the job done. Yeah, I just got done reading a, a book by Cal Newport. Um, he's a really smart guy, um, a computer science professor who wrote a, a book that I, I found very useful called Deep Work years ago. But he wrote a new one called A World Without Email. And he makes the argument that email is so inefficient that, you know, it's only a question of time before we move past it. And he makes a good argument. If you're interested in kind of the, you know, the underpinnings of email, I'd recommend reading the book. But one of the things he talks about in it is trying to find different locations for stuff that is historically email, but it's not really well suited for. And um, I've tried to kind of keep that in mind with my own workflows. Um, I've continued to experiment with, hey, you know, I've got accounts that are just, you know, standard email accounts that I use, you know, with the same box and all the other stuff. But I've also got accounts that I'm using with, hey, and I'll tell you, um, you know, I, I, I thought that after a couple months of this, I would either love or hate, hey, and instead I just like it. Um, there, there are things I don't <laughs> like, you know, what I mean, you know, what I mean, it's not yeah. like a passionate yes or a passionate no, but but it's more towards yes than it's towards no. Uh, I lose some of my automation tricks, but uh, Text Expander still works, which allows me to do quite a bit of automation. And the, uh, but you know, I thought a lot of the like, I really don't like the name Inbox, I M B O X, and it seems a little like you know cutesy. But just for a way to grind through email, I actually kind of like it. They have that focus and reply function where you can mark like 10 emails to focus and reply. And it just gives you a scrolling list of the question and a box to put the answer in. And for whatever reason, that is super efficient for dealing with like customer support emails. And the, um, they have a flagging or a tagging system, which they call labels that absolutely works 100% of the time across all platforms. And I never really got that to work on Apple mail. You know, I would get like mail tags or some of these other apps, but you know, when you rely on a technology by a third party, you know, two or three months out of the year, they don't work. And that's not going to, you know, do it for me. So like with the legal stuff, the labels in particular are super important because I can make a specific label to a specific transaction and, and quickly get all the email. Another thing they do that I really like on the legal side is I can name threads that nobody else sees. So like if I'm working on a contract with the Acme company, I can name the thread Acme contract negotiations and then just get all that email collected under that thread. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, I like it, you know, I, I, I'm not in love with it. I like it. And, uh, I haven't like gone a whole hog in it, but I've done tests. I've even done some tests with Max Sparky on it. So I'm not sure where this is all going to end up. Maybe in a year I'll have a, a more definitive answer for people. But, you know, I'm Max Sparky, so i got to test everything. And this thing with, hey, there's something to it. I just don't think I have my arms around it enough to tell you whether this is something you should do. But anyway, uh, so email. Um, I'm testing a lot of things right now. And I would imagine that email is a is a pretty primary communication channel for you whether it's clients or other attorneys or it is what have you i mean it 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 is 
very, especially during COVID, but even before, I do a lot of things with clients. I don't like to, on the legal side, do a lot of text messaging with clients. I'd rather have kind of like a, a thread of conversation with a record behind it. And I definitely don't want to do text messaging with other lawyers. Um, uh, by having email, you can kind of document things. And and one of the things I'll do, I'll talk about later with personal knowledge management, with the way I tie this all together. One of the nice things about Hey is every email is an encrypted URL. So I can copy a link to any email into any place. And then I can get back to it very quickly as a markdown link. But that's just a tease. You're going to hear more about that later. <laughs> uh, so I had mentioned Slack being a, a big deal uh, at Relay. Uh, you know, you, you know, you're a little bit different, right? You're a, a, a solo uh, practitioner of the law. Is that what they call it? Practitioner of the law. That sounds yeah. It, fancy. it is a practice, though. It is a practice. Yeah. yeah. Um. So how how I mean, is Slack something that you know Max Max Sparky? enterprises or on the law side like where does that fit in yeah it doesn't really the only place it fits yeah. in for me is um i belong to the relay slack which is important and like one of the things you and i do with slack is anything we talk about related to the podcast we do in slack you know um just over the weekend we were slacking each other about today's outline but stuff that's unrelated to the show we do in messages and without ever talking about it, you and I have kind of defaulted to this behavior where, you know, our personal stuff, we just talk about each other's kids or whatever. We'll do that in messages, but stuff related to the business of the podcast gets done in Slack. So I think it's nice to have a distinction there, but yeah, I, so Slack for me really is mainly relay business. Mm -hmm. And then also I belong to some Slacks for some apps that I'm interested in where they put me in kind of like the developer Slack or, kind of like a power user slack for their app and i keep up with what's going on in there like um craft is one i'm I'm not actively using craft right now but i'm actively keeping up with it and i'm in their slack group and i read and keep up with their threads okay so so i i use it kind of as a research tool for max sparky and i definitely use it as a communication tool for relay um i thought about using it for my law clients but it's really the wrong thing. You know, I, what I don't want is a big like public forum thing where all the clients can hang out together and talk, you know, a lot of my clients don't want to know other people, you know, and, um, and it just doesn't really seem appropriate for what I'm doing. Um, so it's, I know lawyers that do successfully use Slack, but the way my practice is structured, it's, it's really got no use. Same thing with the, the team Max Sparky, you know, the people that help me around the field guides and the blog and even, um, the paralegal and people help me with the the law practice. I don't communicate with any of those people via Slack. It just uh, my team is small enough that Slack would be more noise than signal if I put that hmm. together. In my opinion, sure. Yeah, I think I think with Slack, team size is, is something you really should look at. I mean, we've got a ton of people, and so we can break it all into rooms and everything. But if it's just two, three, four people, I think it's overhead you don't need. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And, and the way I handle that, um, uh, so because I've got different things in my life, you know, um, Basecamp is a good solution for me. Um, I have a, an, like a virtual assistant who is local. So she's kind of a virtual assistant and kind of an in-person assistant. But I started using Basecamp with her several years ago, and it really took for her. You know, the way tasks are assigned 
and the way it tracks everything. She really likes Basecamp. And at one point I had looked at using like maybe Notion or something, and I talked to her about it. And we spent some time like looking at these solutions together. And she's she was like, hey, can we just stick with Basecamp? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I understand <laughs> this, you know. And and since she does so much work with me, uh, I think the rest of my team could have come along easily enough. I think she could have eventually come along with me. But I'm thinking, why am I adding this friction point? Yeah. So all team communications for uh, Max Sparky stuff, both legal and field guide and blog stuff, goes through uh, different base camps. I did cancel my big base camp account. I tried to use it as a communication tool with clients, and very few of them were interested in it. And it's a thousand dollars a year. It just didn't seem worth the money if nobody was going to use it. So I have the free account. With the free account, you get three base camps. So I've got one for field guides, one for Max Sparky, and one for legal. And I've got different people in the different base camps, but all of them are super like on it. And if I put a, a, a task item in base camp, they get it, they do it, it's trackable, you know, everything just kind of works. So uh, base camp is the primary internal like team communication tool for me. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I know you, you're not a fan of base camp and. It just don't. It don't work for me. I, you know, I think part of the problem with the all the products from Thirty Seven Signals is when you look at it, it, it does look. I don't. I'm not sure if the word is antiquated, but it, it looks very. It looks like uh, you know an interface you'd see on a in a movie. You know, you look at it and everything is big, and the buttons are big. You know, and it's very easy to understand. And for nerds like us, it's like, oh, I don't want that. I want, you know, I want the F-16 version of this, not the Piper Cub version of this. And I do feel like, the, you know, all their products kind of have that feel to them. But I've mm-hmm. also realized over time, it's exactly that, that the people that aren't power users love it so much, you know? Sure. Uh, so you mentioned that messaging... Uh, you know, isn't the best way for you to communicate with your clients. Uh, and you also spoke about how uh, we use iMessage for kind of personal friendship stuff and work stuff in Slack. I have that arrangement with several other people. Uh, but does messages fit into work for you at all? A lot of clients have my cell phone number. You know, once you get on the inside with me, I just give you access and and I tell them, you know, if I don't answer, it doesn't mean I don't love you, but you know, you can call my cell. And um, so once they have my cell, they have my text message. And if a client just texts me to say, hey, I'm running late for lunch, that's fine. But if they say, hey, I've changed my mind, I want to cancel that contract, I don't really want that in a text message. I want that in an email. Mm-hmm. So I I gently try to guide them out of it. I don't I don't write them back and say don't tell me stuff like this in messages. You know that's not mm-hmm. really cool. But what I'll do is I'll take a screenshot of it and then I'll pre- reply in email. Ah. Um, and kind of like drag it into that. Um, you know the reason for that one is I just kind of want a record of instructions as I follow them, and I think email is a better place for that. I also like that there be some, there's more precision in an email. Like a text message is words, an email can be paragraphs. And when I'm getting instructions from a client or giving them advice on how to handle something, I think paragraphs are better than words. So I really try to direct it there. Another reason I don't like messages for like client work is 
it's just not that easy to turn those messages into tasks or action items as it is with, with an email. Like, like I said earlier, I, I've been teasing this already, but you know, anything I do send as an email, I can link. So I can link the whole email thread to the task. And that's not as easy with messages. So there's just a lot of good reasons for me not to want to do stuff like that in messages. So I, I really try to keep messages to personal stuff and not work stuff. Although there's always people breaching the gate and I'm always, sure. you know, kind of dealing with it. I've, I've got better at it over the years. I don't get, you know, angry about it or anything, but I'm just like, okay, uh, this isn't really the place for that. One new one for me in the last year or so, or I guess, yeah, nine months is, uh, is discord, which on the surface of it is similar to Slack. Um, the, once you get into it, they're, they're pretty different, but we've got discord set up for all the relay FM members. Everybody can hang out in there. And so I'm using that not necessarily for like internal work stuff, but as part of my work is to help manage that community. And so I've got that open, you know, one swipe away on my Mac and check in on it several times a day. And it's on my phone with some notifications uh, set up in a particular way. If someone on like the administration team needs me, they can get a hold of me, that sort of thing. And it's been, I mean, that community is a lot of fun. And if you're a member, you should go check it out. But it is definitely something that I was not familiar with at all a year ago. And now know the ins and outs of it pretty well as we've made it part of the business. Yeah. I mean, it's a great community tool. And um, I don't, I don't have much use for it, but I am, I'm aware of it out there. You know, the one tool that I use that a lot of people don't use is the telephone. (laughs) You know? Yeah. What uh, was that? I make a lot of calls. You know, one of the reasons why text messages don't work is because it's so one dimensional, you know, it's Mm -hmm. just text. There's, there's no tone of voice. There's, you know, there's no way to read it right. In fact, I was just saw Grammarly, which is a service I love, now has a tone detector where when you're writing things, it'll it'll look at it and try and analyze what kind of tone you're writing in to help you make sure you send something that makes sense on the other end. Yeah. Yeah, that's important and really hard to get done with the written word. Yeah. And, and when you're down to just a few words, which is what you'll be text messages, it's even harder to nail that tone. And it's very easy to miscommunicate or just like you want to say one thing, but the other person hears something entirely different. I mean, human communications is difficult and with text, all you're stripping away so much context. So I find telephone a, a great way to deal with it. Like I'll get an email or a message from a client that's dealing with a problem. I just had this happen over the weekend. I had a client who's getting really frustrated with one of his other professional advisors. And he says, I've had it. I think I'm going to fire that guy. You know, how will that impact your work? And in my head, I knew with this project we're working on, firing that guy would slow everything down, you know? Mm-hmm. But how do you address that in a text message or even an email, right? right? So I just picked up the phone and called him and got a really better idea of what his, his frustration was. And, um, and I actually kind of helped the other guy out that's about to get fired. I said, look, you got to give him a chance and explain what the problem is. And I offered to call him for him, you know, all this, you know, once we got on the phone, we had all this context back and forth and we're able to keep his project going full steam, you know, without a whole bunch of midstream problems. And none of that would have been solvable 
with email or message or Slack or, you know, pick your digital service here. Um, so I really think the telephone is a great, you know, way to go. The, you know, when you look at the, you know, the idea behind email, it's, it's asynchronous that you can leave a message and then reply later. But so many people think about it as synchronous and with email and, and text, the people on the other end get mad if you don't like immediately reply and they reply back to you. They're trying to turn it into a, a sort of telephone call. Well, why don't you just use the telephone for that? You know, mm-hmm. it's okay. And, and as a lawyer, I spend a lot of time on the phone. I mean, um, that's a whole thing. If you want to be productive and you make telephone calls, I do not have an expectation with my clients that I will call them out of the blue or that they will call me out of the blue. In fact, I have like little tricks I use. So if somebody just calls me with no planned call, I say, hey, is everything okay? You know, it's like, this is special. You're calling me without planning. What, you know, what's going on, you know, and there's just subtle ways to try and get out of the habit of people thinking they just call you whenever the heck they want and interrupt you. So I use the telephone, but I use it strategically and I plan those calls out and I block time for them and make sure that I don't spend my whole day on the telephone. I've definitely done more of this as time has gone on. You know, if someone on the network wants to, wants to chat and we get into Slack and it seems like it's a bigger thing, then I'll say, Hey, you know, here's my cell. Just, just call me. We can just, you know, talk it out. And I have found it to be very helpful for all the reasons that you said. Some people really don't want to do it. And I understand that, but I think for a lot of conversations, you just avoid so much headache. If you just pick up the phone. Yeah. Whenever you find yourself repeatedly text messaging or slacking someone back and forth for more than like five or 10 minutes, I feel like there should be an alarm bell going in your head, you know, you know, check this against telephone call. Is this something that we should just be doing on the phone? Something else that I've done with communications through the pandemic that is going to be unpopular with a lot of clients is I've found appreciation for services like Zoom and video conferencing. Um, I understand before you like throw your phone through the window Um, I understand that there's a lot of companies that have abused this where they set up so many telephone calls for the internal team that people don't actually get work done. They spend their whole day sitting on zoom calls with their coworkers. And that is not a good way to run a business. But I, for someone who doesn't have a big internal team, I, I don't do any zoom calls with my internal team. You know, we were able to communicate largely through Basecamp and, And um, I guess I should say the other thing I do with, I talked earlier about this one person who helps me out on almost everything. We have a standing call once a week for a half hour, which can go longer if it needs. But um, the reason I do this, I feel like she's so key to me. I don't want her thinking to me of just like some, you know, robot words that show up on the internet that give her things to do. I want to be able to talk to her and find out what she's thinking and if everything's working, you know, and I feel like, taking a half hour a week to just sit down and listen to her is good for my business, you know, but, uh, um, but I don't even do that by zoom. I do that by, by phone. Um, but what I find is very useful because of the pandemic, I don't travel to see my clients right now and getting on a video call with, you know, my clients on occasion and getting on a video call, even with some of the Mac power sponsors and some of the other people that I work with, just having FaceTime with those people on camera really helps keep the connection. 
And I think that this stuff is actually quite useful. It definitely is. You know, having that that weekly check-in, that's something that Mike and I do as well. Every Monday morning, we have – it's scheduled for half an hour. Sometimes it's shorter. Sometimes it's way longer where we will just ha- kind of update each other on the different parts of the business that we work on, but also check in and see how the week went and see how the families are doing and all that stuff. We kind of mix personal and professional on those calls a little bit, but it's super useful. And if we go for a couple of weeks for whatever reason without doing those, like I feel it in the business, right? Where we need to check in and and have that time where we're not just talking to each other on a podcast, but we're just talking to each other as people who own this business together. It is it is really useful, especially in a business like mine where it is uh it's always been remote, right? Like in a way, we were really set up for COVID because we're already all used to working from home. But having uh, having those weekly check-ins has really made things run smoother for, for years now. Yeah, one of the ideas in Cal Newport's book is the concept of office hours. And I know that's like a thing university professors do, but he suggests bringing it into your business where um, you say, okay, rather than sending me email every day with a million questions – I'm going to set aside one hour a week or twice a week and you write down anything you want to talk about and come to me during that time and we will get through it together, you know, and you can do that on a zoom call or a telephone call. But, um, the idea of not having a bunch of little cuts into your time, but instead just say, okay, I'm going to set aside this time to answer your questions. And I think there's something really useful to that, you know, and that's a, a better way to communicate than, sending an email every time you have a question. Agreed. Totally agreed. Um, and one last point on, on all this stuff is, you know, we did this episode on contextual computing. It's a, it's a thing I continue to think about all the time, but, you know, finding ways to make these communications speak with one another and link to one another. And as you're setting up your communications, having a way to have access to them later is something that can be really useful. And um, I just think it's something you should keep in the back of your mind as you're setting it up. Yeah, I, I find that like on those calls with Mike, for instance, I generally would need a set amount of information. And so I have those, they're all web pages. I have all those web pages in a bookmarks folder. So I can very quickly get to, okay, he may ask me about this or that, and I can have that ready. You know, that's like the world's simplest way to group <laughs> information together. It's all web pages, not having to pull from other things. but. Even that, just having it a click away and not having to like dig through it when you're on the call is, it makes everything run more smoothly. Yeah. And for calls like that, another great way to kind of prep for them is to send whatever questions you have to the person in advance. Just say, hey, I know we have a call next week. Here's a couple things I'd like to cover. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps to get 20% off. Stephen and I have both been using 1Password for years, and that's because it's the easy way to protect yourself online. 1Password is the password manager to rule them all. It's got a great system to create strong and unique passwords, but it's also got a great system to manage those for you, so it's really easy. It gives you the ability to both have strong security and convenience. Now, the 1Password team works really hard on protecting your privacy, and they take a lot of extreme measures to make sure you are protected. One of the things I love about 1Password is the way they store data. 
They have many protections in place to stop would-be hackers from accessing their servers. In fact, they have never been hacked. And even if a thief somehow slipped through, they would only have access to reams of scrambled information. That's because 1Password uses end-to-end encryption to safeguard all of your data in their accounts. Unless the hacker had access to everyone's decryption keys, the data would be worthless. When you have a 1Password account, your decryption comes in two parts. There's the master password, which you need to remember and access your account, and there's the secret key. The later is a long series of letters and numbers separated by dashes, which can be copied from your emergency kit or scanning the setup code if you're already logged in on a device. But the point is, without both of those pieces of information, your data on their servers is garbage and you are fully protected. I mean, that's just one more reason to love 1Password. They really have your protection and your security in mind. And it's an amazing to use app that anybody can use. I've got it in my family and everybody's using it and regularly protecting them. We hear from listeners that are using it in their companies. And a lot of people just have individual accounts to protect their own individual privacy. Either way, head over to onepassword.com slash MPU right now to get your 20% off. Once again, that's onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps. And we thank OnePassword for all of their support of the Mac Power users. All right, let's get into file management. Um, This is one that I've kind of wanted to share with the audience for a while and never found a good excuse for it. But Hmm. I do a lot of file management, and I've been really kind of evolving that over the last couple of years. Yeah, I I really want to want to hear about this because you have a way (laughs) a way bigger number of files that you deal with than I do. I mean, it's like night and day, I'm sure. And you have different types of documents, and you've got a lot of you know a lot more security stuff than I have to to worry about. So I really want to hear what you're doing. Yeah, I, I. I've gone through kind of a process on this for the longest time. I was uh, just using iCloud and at so much so that at one point I, I considered throwing Dropbox overboard because I just hate all the stuff it installs on your computer when you set up Dropbox. But when I started doing testing and I realized a lot of clients are in Dropbox, I decided no. And we talked about this on a feedback episode, like, three or four months ago, but I'm less belligerent about Dropbox now. But as I dig deeper into the idea of contextual computing, I want more than what the finder gives me for file management. You know, the finder is, you know, it's, it's a simple mechanism and there are some cool things you can do it. Like when you bring Hazel to bear, but there's other things it just really isn't very good at. And um, so I've been looking real serious at DevonThink um, starting last year, and I'm increasingly bringing DevonThink kind of into the fold for some of my file management. So instead of Finder or Dropbox or iCloud Drive, like what is what does DevonThink give you that those other tools don't? Well, you know, the, the first place I really kind of started experimenting was my legal research library. Um, there are certain areas of law that I practice, you know, largely I am a California business attorney, but I have some specialty representing a lot of technology companies. Like I represent many it companies. So I'm always capturing articles and, um, legal reviews and cases that involve it companies. I mean, 
I'll, I'll put my lawyer hat on for a second. IT companies have it the worst because <laughs> everybody that hires an IT company doesn't understand what they do, right? So whenever you think that you've hired a wizard, it's really easy to blame the wizard when you have rainy weather, even though the wizard had nothing to do with the weather, you know? And um, so you write these contracts for IT companies. You have to go really out of your way to protect them because if an employee downloads porn and suddenly their system breaks, they want the IT company to be responsible for that, you know? And um, sure. so I, so I, I track a lot of articles and data about IT company issues and their software. I also represent a lot of um, software companies and I represent a lot of, you know, I just got a, a weird mix of clients that have unique issues. Trade secrets is another big thing I deal a lot with. So I've got all this research I've built up over the years and it's, it's all useful to me when I'm writing letters to convince somebody of something to the extent I'm doing a court briefing, I, I might need some of that research. And a lot of lawyers do this online research now too, because you always want to keep up to date. But my, my own kind of library is of use to me. Well, the way I was doing that historically was just a bunch of folders in iCloud, but I've now moved it all into um, DevonThink. And DevonThink, and I know they're a sponsor sometimes. I think, are they a sponsor today? I don't know. but uh, No, they're not. Okay, but, you know, sometimes they're a sponsor of the show. So, you know, don't get mad at me for, you know, talking about a sponsor, but it's really useful you know? <laughs> because it's got that AI layer. And it's interesting to me how... When I do a search in DevonThink on legal research issues, it finds connections and articles on search terms that aren't in the article but are still applicable. You know, uh, you know. So, like, you know, I mean, I don't want to get into the weeds of legal stuff, but like, I'll search for indemnity and in relation to an IT contract, and DevonThink will find articles I've I've highlighted that don't include the word indemnity, but are still relevant. I'm not even sure how it does it, honestly. I've got to get these guys on the phone someday and understand what's going on. But it just it's kind of like dark magic kind of searching through this library. So I, I found that very useful. So for a research tool, it's amazing. But then for contextual computing purposes, I can link to any article in my DevonThink library. So then if I'm tracking an OmniFocus project to, you know, work on this contract, I can just put a link to that document in DevonThink. I can even link on a PDF to a specific page. So I've got this AI doing work for me, and I've got this ability to easily dig into the library. And then their sync mechanism is very powerful, and I can I can sync it anyway. Well, I'm currently using their iCloud sync, they updated it recently, but I'm using my own password. So it's it's got, in essence, end-to-end encryption. So I'm very comfortable with the security model. And, um, and so that's where I started out kind of using it for legal research. So then I started dumping all of my field guide research in it. For any field guide I make, there's lots of research that goes into it of apps and workflows and different things. And so for each field guide, I've got a separate like sub-library that I'm using and searching and taking advantage of DevonThink's AI. And right now I'm doing experiments with my client files in it because I have end-to-end encryption. Um, I can see a world where I may want to put 
client stuff in there and be able to tie. I don't really need to do the cross document research, but since I've already got so much other stuff in Dev and Think, I'm actually considering that now. I haven't really kind of made a decision on that. I'm running some tests, and so far everything's working well. But I've I've got to make a you know look at the bigger decision on whether I'm going to do that. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic tool, and I think unless you understand those features you were just talking about, how you can link and how the amazing the search is, you may just look at it and think, well, what well, that's just a different view into Finder. Like, why would I, I need that? But when you start putting data into it from the web and PDFs and all these other sources, and you need to surface stuff later, that's where it really shines for me. Something else I've done in the last couple of years is I've given up on the dream of file management on iPad. You've heard me rail against it for years, how I feel like Apple has not, you know, delivered the goods. And between getting this, you know, M1 MacBook that's amazingly fast and just like seeing how much easier it is to manage files on a Mac, I've just kind of come to the conclusion that for the time being, I'm doing file management on a Mac. Yeah. And um, I mean, I can still access these files on an iPad with a little work, but like the real serious file management stuff I do, that's only going to happen on a Mac. It's you know that's where I've got Hazel, that's where I've got Devon Think, um, all the tools I want, and it's just you know Apple just still isn't there with the iPad and file management. And it's a shame, uh, it really is. I mean, I feel like so oftentimes, and especially on the iPad or iPhone, Apple will add one of these features that's more aimed at power users and like do the minimum and then just leave it for two, three, four or five years where if it got attention every year, then files could be pretty good and that they have done stuff. I'm not saying they have, they've just abandoned it. They've definitely had updates to it, including uh, in 14. But for me, at least it's just not enough yeah. compared to what finder can do. Yeah, exactly. Um, where are you managing files? Uh, so for me, uh, for work, everything is on Dropbox. I've got a whole series of shared folders, one for each of my podcasts. Uh, Mike and I have two. We have Relay FM Admin, which is stuff for us. Then Carrie, our sales manager, and Kathy, our community manager, we all have access to that. And then there's a second one that's just me and Mike called the Relay FM Vault. And that's just like legal stuff, uh, some financial stuff things that are just for the two of us and Dropbox says it's met my needs for so long. And it wasn't until that long ago, iCloud drive had even had shared folders, but there's so much stuff that Dropbox does that iCloud just doesn't do or doesn't do nearly as well that I'm not willing to really entertain iCloud as a, as an alternative at this point. I mean, the sharing is really straightforward and easy to manage. You have your um, your whole history on the website. So if, if something is deleted or changed, you can roll it back. All of this stuff. And iCloud does some of it, but kind of in a clunky way. Dropbox, to, for me at least, is still just uh, just the winner here. Yeah. Um, I, I had mentioned in the past that um, one of the people on my team is J.F. Brissett, who... Uh, has been a guest on the show. He's an excellent editor, and he does a lot of the um, field guide work. He reviews everything I do, and does he? He's what makes it good, honestly. Um, and but he didn't want to pay for Dropbox anymore because he didn't need it for anything else except what we were doing together. So I uh, we tried iCloud sharing, 
the iCloud sharing folder, and we did the whole paperless field guide with iCloud sharing folders and the current title, which I am not going to give you just yet, um, but <laughs> we're doing a bunch of work on that on a shared iCloud folder. And that stuff is still out there, and it's possible. So that works, but but I get it. And I'm kind of done fighting against Dropbox for the time being because there's just so many people that like it and use it. If you're working in technology, you should be able to go to them rather than make them come to you, especially when it's your clients. Um, so, you know, I have a Dropbox account. I use that too, whatever it takes. 110, 111, whatever it takes. <laughs> it's, uh, it is wild to me that iCloud Drive hasn't just completely aped <laughs> what Dropbox has. Because it it's, it's not it's not like it's that complicated, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Dropbox has been doing it for a long time. But is it that surprising? I feel like this is like a half-hearted Apple effort. I don't feel like yeah. they're going all at it. Yeah. I mean, you look at like redesigning the iPhone, that's like a boil the ocean kind of project inside Apple, right? Everybody Mm -hmm. is going to be devoted to it. And then like adding the Dropbox features to iCloud, it's like, yeah, we're going to work on that when we have time for it. (laughs) That's the way it feels to me, you know? Yeah. No, you're not. You're not wrong, sadly. Are you using DevonThink? You know, what are you using DevonThink for? Yeah. So DevonThink has my entire computer history library. It's it's got almost 24,000 items in it at this point. I just added a bunch of stuff as we were doing episode 580 of MPU. So that's just me for like 512 pixel stuff. Um, I don't have anything for relay in it. It's all just tech history. And and for all the reasons that you mentioned, um, and I'll throw one more in, it will accept almost any file you put at it. And it's web importer, because uh, you mentioned bring articles into it. It's really good. And you can select, do I want this as a PDF or just text or a web archive? Do I want Devin to try to like declutter the page and just give me the content? Lots of options while scraping into Devin Think. It's um it's the best sort of importer from the web that I've seen. You know, Evernote for a long time had that. I think I had that crown, but Devin Think is better. And I can search across you know, all sorts of wild files and find what I need when it's time to you know, write or talk about a specific historical topic. Yeah, that's why I'm super tempted to bring my client file database into it uh, because it's just so powerful. Like, you know, those text messages that I get from clients that I don't really want to get, saving those to DevonThink with a client-based file system in DevonThink would be trivial and give me an easy way to track them, you know, just saving a screenshot. But it's not really a traditional use for DevonThink. DevonThink, a lot of time, people, you know, research scientists use it and people who are writing academic papers. And I would be using it more as a traditional file system, at least for that purpose. Like, and I've never been tempted to put like my personal, like, gas bill records into DevonThink. You know, it just doesn't. And I know people do it because I hear from paperless customers that are all in with it. But for me, something like that is just going to stay in a finder. Devin think is like, you know, it's like bringing a gun to a knife fight, you know, on this data management stuff. And it doesn't feel like it's a, it's really necessary with that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I don't know where this is going to end up, but I'm, I'm running experiments now and I can tell you I'm, I'm considering it. And the other thing I didn't, you know, I've kind of made reference to, but not explicit is 
would Devin think you can link to any document or thing in the library? And then, you know, getting back to my drum of contextual computing, it makes it trivial to to link to files in Devon things. So if you've got a page where you're working on a contract and you've got a link to the OmniFocus project and a link to the Devon think, you know, folder full of documents and all that stuff, um, that's real easy to do with a Devon think based system. Now in the finder, you can create links to files, but the only way I found to do it reliably is with the hook app. And we had, um, we, we've talked about hook on the show. We even had the developer on the show, but one of its features is you can pick any folder or file in the finder and create a link to it. And then that's a URL based link. So you can get back to it. Even if you name it or move the file, it still works. So um, if you're not interested in Devon think, but you want to have links, you, I think you need to go the hook route. Yeah. And, and hook is a, is a hard app to talk about and a hard app to wrap your mind around. But I, I think if you're looking for something to pull links of those, those sorts of things together, it's one of the only things that really does it all the way down into Finder. And and I think it's worth checking out, even if I think the learning curve is a bit too steep. I do think he's putting together some tutorial videos on them. I'm not being cute. I'm not doing them. But it's um, <laughs> but I, I think he's going to have more stuff on the website to make it easier to kind of get up that learning curve. But, but yeah, Hook is a great solution for that. I, I think and we've talked about backup a lot on the show, but real quick, with the file systems, you just want to explain what you're doing for backup? Yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, I recently put this together on 512 Pixels, but uh, basically my my Mac Pro backs up internally. Uh, it's boot drive and the archive drive back up internally, and then they get backed up off-site every month or so uh, onto hard drives and then continuously through Backblaze. And so I've kind of got the one, two, three layers, and that means that I have um, I have multiple points in which I can recover that data. Yeah, I uh, I also have a post on this fairly recently, making the link, and uh, let's just suffice to say I have a lot of backups of this stuff. Yep. <laughs> yeah, in fact, your post guilted me into uh, into updating mine because I hadn't yeah. updated mine in a in a long time. If you take one thing from the show, I would say get a Backblaze account and have a couple local backups. I mean, that that's the short version of all of this. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And especially if you're, if you're using Dropbox, if you're using iCloud, it is tempting to think that your stuff is backed up. And the reality is those are syncing services. So if you delete something or something gets damaged or moved around, that's going to propagate to your other machines. It's going to propagate to the service itself. And so a, a backup is a is a, a not only a, a single point in time, but it also brings that outside of that syncing services domain. And so if I blow up my Dropbox, well, my, on my time machine drive, it's static as it was for that backup moment in time. And so just because stuff is on a cloud service, it does not mean it's backed up. Yeah, in fact, there I talked about this on a recent feedback episode, but there's a risk to storing documents on iCloud and and Dropbox and that they both now have features where it doesn't necessarily download all your files. Yeah. And if you're running a fancy backup system, but the cloud service is only giving you 15% of those files on your local drive, 
you are only backing up 15% of those files with all mm-hmm. your attached backups. And I got a lot of email when I talked about this on the feedback show of, of listeners discovering that they were not, in fact, backing up all their data. Um, so just to stick a pin in that, if you are using iCloud or Dropbox and you do not have all of that data downloading to the computer you're running your backups off of, you are not backing up. So just please take 10 minutes to make sure you're doing that. It can save you a lot of heartache in the future. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Spokes, a communications agency. Do you have a brilliant idea that will change the world? Spokes knows that whether you are pitching investors or selling products or services, a compelling story is the difference between your business struggling and your business thriving. In short, in a crowded market, the best story wins, and Spokes helps you tell that best story. Spokes gives lean and hungry businesses the boost of a full-service media agency at a scale that works for you, communication services within your budget. Their founding team has decades of experience in tech, news, government, public relations, and marketing. They can amplify your story so your business can go to new places. Are you the next college kid who forgets a thumb drive on the way out the door, leading to an idea to sync files in the cloud that will revolutionize the way we use computers? Whatever you're doing, Spokes will polish and promote your story. Go to spokes.agency slash MPU21. Mention this podcast for a 25% discount. That's spox.agency slash MPU21. And when you mention the show, you'll get a 25% discount. Our thanks to Spokes Agency for the support of the show. I can't help but talk about personal knowledge management and knowledge management in general lately. I know that I'm kind of a keep banging this drum, so I want to apologize to the audience. (laughs) But this is an area of computing I am super interested in, and it is definitely impacting the way I'm running my law practice. Um, uh, I feel like that we're at this weird phase with computing where it feels like we've been doing it a long time. But when you look at computers and the arc of human history, we're barely out of the introduction. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that I think that makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. So like like email is the thing that we just naturally think is the solution to all our problems. I would not be surprised if 20 years from now almost nobody uses email. I think there's going to be better solutions that show up. You know, we're we're and I talked about this in relation to PDFs. Like all the PDF apps are like they're just analogs of what we did with paper and pencil. You know, it's a PDF and then there's a highlighter and a red pen and you draw on it like you would on a piece of paper and a pencil. Whereas I feel like there's better ways to manage them than that. I also feel that way with data management and linking, you know, the whole idea of contextual computing is like, how do you hold things together in a way that makes it easy for you to do your job? And I have spent way more time than I would like to admit in the last year looking at tools like Rome Research, Obsidian, Craft. And, you know, it seems like the weekly new app that's trying to do this. It's like everybody's <laughs> in, in, getting in on the act now. But, but you know, when you think about linking, we've always been using computers the way we use paper. And that's top down. You know, like you have a piece of paper. You start at the top. You start writing till till you get to the bottom. 
But, you know, the way we think isn't necessarily top down. Maybe it's bottom up or it's middle out. And computers give us the ability to do that. And this whole idea of linking and backlinking is a total game changer for managing data on a computer. And there's a lot of different apps out there right now. I'm pretty happy with Obsidian. I think I'm probably going to be sticking with that for a while because they've got end-to-end encryption and the source files in Obsidian are just markdown text files on my drive. So I never lose my data. And so I think I'm probably going to stick with that one. But I've put a lot of effort into, now that I've settled on this app, how am I going to incorporate into knowledge management in my law practice? So let me go through that a little bit. Okay. Um, the um, For, I don't know, uh, I've been practicing almost 30 years, but I would say at least 20 years of that, I've been, I take notes on every transaction or litigation I work on. Like, who's the other lawyer? Who's the judge? What was the thing? And then a lot of them, I even keep diary notes as we have conversations and communications as we try to work out a deal. And I've done that in a bunch of different apps over the years. Um, as of a few years ago, all that's data I migrated into Apple Notes. So for every, you know, every transaction I have, I just run a, a diary at the bottom and I'd keep notes on it and I'd go into Apple Notes. Um, I have now moved all that data into Obsidian, which is this markdown friendly thing. But Obsidian has all these cool tools like links and backlinks. With Obsidian, you can put double brackets around anything and it becomes like a wiki link where you can jump between notes in your database. And just as an example of how this helps me, um, I just got a new, for a client, I'm negotiating a contract and the other lawyer sent me an email and the name looked familiar to me. It's like, I have heard this name. Where is this guy from? You know? So I plugged his name into Obsidian and it found a deal I worked on with this guy like 12 years ago for a different <laughs> client, you know? And I went through the diary notes of that thing and I remember, oh, this guy is a total bozo. You know, I mean, he, uh, he'd say things to me and then they wouldn't turn out to be true. And like, I, the whole thing came flooding back as soon as I saw the notes. And now as I enter this new deal with this guy, I am like showing up for, was it forewarned is forearmed? <laughs> yeah. <know? laughs> so I'm ready, you know? And, and so, so while, you know, a lot of people are using Obsidian tools to like, tie ideas together and I'm doing that as well. But this can also be a really powerful tool for just like data management around transactions and things you do for work. Like I think if you were in sales, something like this could be massively useful to you. And so I've built out a whole system over the years that involves tracking these. But now with Obsidian, I have the ability to add these backlinks. So like I can click that guy's name in Obsidian and see every transaction I've ever worked on with him. And like backlink my way into what's going on. And it's uh, it's just been super powerful. And the other thing is because it's Markdown files, I can embed URLs. So the top of any note for like a, a client transaction has, it's it, it, the Obsidian lets you embed templates. So I have a template that has common things. And one of the, the first thing it says is OmniFocus project, you know. So I could create a link to the OmniFocus project. If you use OmniFocus, something a lot of people don't realize, if you right-click on the project name, there's an option to copy as URL. So you've got a URL that links to that specific project, and you can do it to folders and basically any data in OmniFocus. So I'll embed the link to the OmniFocus project at the top of the Obsidian note, 
And then if I'm in there and I'm like, well, let me check in on the tasks for this. I just click one button and it, it contextually computing. It brings me straight to the project. The other thing I do at the top of the note is I will have an entry called key folders and documents. Mm-hmm. And I add links, whether they're dev and think links or hook links directly to the project folder and key documents. And like when I send a draft off to the other lawyer, I will put a link to that draft and then I can put in, because it's like hierarchical notes, I can put my own individual comments about that draft. Like this is the draft I wrote to address these three issues and this is why I did it. Or like another one I often do is I'll send a highlighted version to the client that the other side can't see. It's like a privileged notes. And I'll say, this is a privileged version and this is what it does. But when I go back to the Obsidian note, I've got a separate entry for every single draft that went out and what the purpose of it was. You know, because I name them properly, I can I can get to them all. But I can also jump to the document with just the URL from Obsidian. Make yeah. sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think when I talk about this stuff, sometimes I, I go too fast. So let me know. <laughs> you know, but but you know the the top of the document has links. Like the other thing it may have, like a lot of times the client will send me an email with the assignment, and I'll put a link to that because with using hey. I can copy a secure URL from the source email and I'll put that at the top as well. So I can go back and check what the exact assignment was, you know? Mm-hmm. So all this stuff is like tying together. And then another thing I'll do in that note is I'll have like key things that I want to work on. A lot of times I'll have a telephone call with the client as we start off a project and I'll find out, you know, my goal as a lawyer and I'm getting into law stuff here. Sorry, gang. But my job is to get, when a client tells me I want something, my first question is, how do you define the end zone? You know, what is a touchdown in this case? You know, uh, because you don't necessarily know, right, what they're looking for. And they'll say, well, this is what a touchdown for me is if we get this, this, and this. So I'll keep records of all that in my note. So as I'm negotiating and working, I can keep pushing towards getting the ball in the end zone. But if I don't know what the end zone is, I'm never going to get there. As an aside, that's also a great way to determine if it's somebody you want to work with. I remember one time a new client called me and they wanted me to help them and they were very angry with their partner. You know, the guy, it was like a partnership dispute back when I was doing more litigation. I said, well, what, what's the end zone? He says, well, the end zone is that I want to hurt him so bad that his kids can't go to college. That's what the guy told me, you know? And I'm like, okay, well, I don't think we're going to be a good fit. (laughs) (laughs) That's intense. You know, but, but, you know, but, you know, you know, that's a great question to ask people uh, Mm -hmm. when you're starting working with them. But anyway, so I have like a section that covers what the end zone is. And then I do have a diary on the project. So every time I touch the project, there's an entry in there. Like I sent an email to opposing counsel and I can put a link to this specific email and everything is tied together in a neat little package and all accessible through these super powerful linking and searching that I get with Obsidian. And it's all markdown notes. It's just a, a, a collection of markdown uh, folders on my drive. And I don't put it on the cloud because it's it's secret. I don't want it in iCloud or Dropbox. But I use, I pay, I think it's four bucks a month to Obsidian. And they've got their own end-to-end encryption solution where I put in my own secret password for the encryption. Everything is encrypted Basically, before it goes in flight, if somebody gets onto the Obsidian um, service, all they're going to get is a bunch of garbage because I'm the only one that has the way to unencrypt it. Um, so everything just kind of works really nice. And um, 
I, I found that, uh, you know, even though I've wasted a lot of time going through all these tools, getting myself to a spot where I can add all this extra power to that section of my practice, it's like, it gives me wings, you know, it's like all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of things I can do for clients that I couldn't do before. Yeah. My, my previous job, I was an account manager and at a web design development firm. And so I had, you know, dozens of customer projects going on at a time sometimes. And I would have a very similar system where I could, uh, I did mine in uh, Envy Alt, you know, back in the day. And I would have a note for each client and then have a link to like their page in our project management system, which was online and like a running call log for all the same reasons you said. And that means that if something comes up in the future, well, maybe I've already actually uh, answered it. Maybe I've already actually dealt with it in the past. And you have that sort of library of knowledge as time goes on. Uh, I don't have a big need for that now, really. But uh, when I was dealing with more outside stuff, it was it was a real lifesaver. And, and the beauty of, of Obsidian is this cross-linking, the easy ability to create a link. All you do to create a link is put two brackets around a word. So like I could put, I talked earlier about the fact that I represent a lot of IT companies. I can put two brackets around the term IT contract. So for every project I take on writing an IT contract for a client, I can create a virtual link to the term IT contract. And now because I've created those that two bracket, that link in the file, I can go and click one button and see every contract I've ever worked on that is an IT contract, you know? Another thing I do is I bracket people, you know, like there is an attorney I'm working with right now. Um, and I am trying to sweet talk him, honestly, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, he's a, he's a good guy and our clients have a lot in common. There's a lot of reasons they should work together. And I, I, I want to be, I want to help that. And so I, I double bracketed his name when I add him to the database and so now I've got a page that when you tap that double bracket, you're in essence opening a separate document or a page to that person. And not only can you write notes in it, you can backlink out of it to every other project that they've been involved with. But because now I can have a separate page for every person in that database or that library, I can put, take specific notes on them. So I made in an Obsidian a template that I call CRM. And it's got questions in there about, you know, you know, how do you pronounce your name? How did I find this person? What are their interests? You know, is this a guy that is on a, on a Frisbee team? And every time you talk to him on the phone, he wants to talk about his Frisbee team. And this, so you take, you know, I mean, so you've got a way to kind of like keep track of stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And none of this was possible at Apple notes. I mean, it just, it's just so much more powerful with these linking based apps it's crazy. And you could do this. You don't have to use Obsidian. You could do this with Rome. You could do it with Craft. And and there's some other apps showing up that I think will be able to do it as well. But I, I just like the data model with Obsidian, which is the reason I'm using it. But I, you know, I'm still finding ways to use this system. And I'm uh I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, if I if I needed something like this, Obsidian is where I would go hands down. I love the idea that it's just Markdown. So even if you know something happens to Obsidian, like <laughs> it's just text files at the end of the day. And that's really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. But but finding a system where you can backlink and and put URL links to related documents is is really powerful. Yeah. Uh for us, I mean, uh, we don't really have anything that complex. Um we have some stuff 
across Google Drive and Google Sheets. We're big proponents of those. Uh, but something that I put in here too is uh, one password for Teams. You know, another sponsor, but having where we can not only share logins, but we have some secure things in there, like you know our EIN number, which you need for federal government stuff, or having uh, bank routing information. All those different things you can save in one password. Uh, with one password teams, I can share that with Mike and or Carrie and Kathy, depending on who needs access to it. And uh, that's been bulletproof for us. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move and enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace is where you go to easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. So maybe you want to create an online store, portfolio, or blog. Whatever it is you want to make, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't need to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has got it all covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. I started MaxSparky.com with a Squarespace built-in template and then started making nice little adjustments to it. So now it uniquely looks like my website. It, it doesn't look like a form template from somebody else, but at the same time, it's really beautiful and it started out with that great foundation that Squarespace provided me. I've been using Squarespace for years and never had a problem. Squarespace plans started just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash MPU. So the next time you need a website for any reason, just go to squarespace.com slash MPU and get started. Not only can you help yourself with that, you can also help other people that need to build their own websites. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU to get that 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and to show your support for the Mac Power users. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash MPU the code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for their support of this show and all of RelayFM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. I think project planning and collaboration as two nerds, I, I thought it'd be fun to check in on this as well. Um, I know that you do a lot of skunk work projects for for <laughs> the network. You know, I mean, you're the guy, right? You're the one who put the membership program together. There's just like every six or 12 months, something comes out of Relay that usually has been cooking on Steven's oven for a year or two. Yeah. How do you do that? Yeah. So I've got a couple of tools that I really rely on for that. Um, the Probably the primary one is Trello. Um, you know, Trello is one of those tools. So you have, you have boards. Each board has co- columns. You can create as many columns as you need. And then you have... Uh, basically cards that you move between the different columns. And some people view this as like a waterfall project. Like, okay. It's going to go from design to development to Q and a to launch, you know, it can be that simple. I tend to use Trello. I tend to use those columns as buckets of ideas. And then as the pieces come together, they sort of form uh, into what it will become. And so, uh, example, like right now, one thing I'm working on and I cannot believe I'm getting ready to say this is the third, uh, podcast for St. Jude that's, uh, coming up in September. 
and we've got a Trello and the only thing in it right now is content ideas. But as those ideas kind of, we decide we want to do those, we don't want to do those, they'll move along. Eventually the Trello will transform into a schedule. So, you know, 1 p.m., all these things that initially were just ideas, now they have all this context around them and details in the cards, they get slotted into the schedule. And Trello's ability to be free form like that is something I really appreciate because uh, you can do that with Google Sheets or Google Docs, but you're copying and pasting and ugh. Trello, you can just drag and drop. And it's fantastic on iOS because it just like you just touch the card and move it over where you want it. Um, I got all sorts of stuff in there and it is uh, not I mean, and not just work. Like I'm looking, I logged into my Trello account and it's like, oh yeah, we have one for like a fall break trip we weren't able to take because of COVID, like all sorts of things in here. Uh, because it's because it offers that flexibility. Yeah, the, these uh, often are called Kanban boards. You know where you the idea you move the cards around based on project status. Yeah, and it's just a very simple way to let multiple people see where things stand. And depending on which software you can use, like I know Trello allows you to add a lot of data to those cards. So if you've got multiple people working on the board they can get what information they need or they can even put notes on it as they mm-hmm. move the card around. And um, yeah, you can do uh, you can even do labels and you can create your own labels. And so looking at last year's podcast, just cause it's like the busiest Trello board I have. It's like, okay, planning underway on the St. Jude side, planning underway on the relay side, uh, you know, awaiting completion, complete all these different labels and you can customize them, choose their colors. And so you can very quickly get a glance of of what's going on with any of these, you know, particular things. Yeah. And and I think the way you do it is really the right way to do it where you don't have a preset set of categories. Like I know a lot of these if you see them that it follows a development cycle cuz software yeah. developers use so often, but that is an unnecessary pair of handcuffs. I mean, you can do whatever you want with these boards and I would encourage people who are not software developers to like try something like Trello and just make the categories as you need them and move things around and see how it goes. I, I do a lot of the um, uh, writing schedule and production schedule for Max Sparky through that. And a lot of it is just for me, but some of it at the end, the actual posting gets done by my virtual assistant. And so she needs to know where things stand and I need to know whether she's done her part and, it's just having a service like this makes it so much easier than if you were to like try to track this through a bunch of emails or, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, like, a sh- like you said, a shared Google doc could do it, but it would not be nearly as easy. Yeah. One uh, other, I think good use of Trello. And I think it goes to this point that it is extremely flexible is we have one for every year for the goals we have for the company and we have financial goals. We have, content goals, membership goals, internal goals, all these different things. And those each are just a category. And then each individual goal is a card. And then we can click on the card and update it, you know, quarterly as we go. And it's just a nice visual way to see, you know, see what's going on and see what we laid out for the year. And so I don't even think Trello, I think even shoehorning it as a project management tool is like too narrow. I mean, you can do almost anything in it. It may take a little time to like figure out how you want to organize it, but I find it to be a really powerful tool and it really matches the way that I think pretty well. 
Yeah, and they have a great iOS app. I mean, this is a an excellent like onboarding for Kanban if you want to do it. I think yeah. Trello would be the first place to go. Yeah. Um one one other one that's maybe a little unusual uh but it's something that I've got to use a lot is GitHub. Um you know, Relay has its own content management system that we build and develop and we have a, a developer who works for us on a freelance basis to do a lot of that programming. I'm not a developer. Uh, I know enough to be dangerous. And so I generally try not to touch the CMS, but it is, um, it is a, a useful tool, not only for like tracking code and changes and stuff, but the way I communicate with Ben, our developer is uh, GitHub has an issues feature. So I can go in and create an issue and say, Hey, we want to make this change or we have this bug and you can categorize it. You can assign people, you can put it out on a roadmap. So they have these projects and it's like kind of like a little Trello inside of GitHub. And so we have our setup to be, uh, this is uh, to do, these are in progress, these are done. And then we just have an agreement that I rank them top to bottom of what's most important in any given moment. And so we can move through the issues and we can comment on them and you can do it over email if you want. And it is, um, it's way better than just me talking to him in Slack because not only do we have the full history, but it's it's granular. So I have the full history on this specific issue. And so if it comes back up two years later, I'm not searching through Slack for every time a key word was said. I can just go to the closed issue or go to where we brought that code change in and I can see what we did. And I can try to understand the decisions that we made two years ago and we can revisit it. And it's uh, it's really saved my bacon a few times, <laughs> believe me. And it's, it is a specific tool to software development. Uh, you know, you're not going to use GitHub probably for like planning your wedding. I don't think if you, if you use GitHub to plan your wedding, please email me. I want to know about that, but it is, um, it is a very useful tool in this sort of specific area of my work. Because I represent software developers. I've got some clients that have me doing really strange things with GitHub. Like, <laughs> you know, like I said earlier, if you do client work, you go to where they are and this is the tool they're comfortable in. So I there's a couple of them that we track things in GitHub. One of them, we track their standard terms and conditions contract. It's a software developer that does like third-party development stuff. And they want me to, they want to track the historical evolution of their contract in GitHub. Weird, right? But it works. Yeah. I mean, I know the 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 folks over at Mac Stories they use it for their columns. And so like someone can edit it and upload the changes to GitHub and you get the full history and stuff. People will find all sorts of interesting things uh, to shove into it. And, and, and I have got a couple of the clients we're doing GitHub projects within, I can tell you someone who is not a software developer, it really isn't that hard to get rolling. No, GitHub. it's not bad. Uh, most of my project planning collaboration stuff, as I've already talked about, um, a lot, Basecamp is kind of like the communication for it. Um, I also aggressively use Airtable for all of my projects. I've got, you know, projects in Airtable involving some of the legal stuff and a lot of them involving like all the the field guides and the sponsor posts for the website and all that is Airtable based. And the nice thing about Airtable is it can be shared with other team members. Airtable does have a Kanban board option, which I use when we're working on a field guide. Like it, it displays, because everything I do for a field guide has different, like statuses, like there's the initial planning, then there's recording, then there's the JF edits, and then sometimes Leilani goes through it, and we've got the closed captioning process. So we've got all these different steps that everything goes through. 
and we put it up on a big Kanban board with um, Airtable. And there's part of me that is just, it drives me nuts that I'm doing this stuff with Basecamp plus Airtable. Like, you know, we had uh, our Notion show last month. I'm like, yeah, I could do all of this in one place with Notion. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, there's just the the destructive part of me wants to just like burn everything to the ground and build a single solution in Notion <laughs> or whatever, you know, insert flavor of the month here. But part of working with other people, um, this has been good for me to kind of like put the brakes on, say, no, stop, this is working. There's not a single problem with the system, except it's just different services. So, and they're all linked via URL. So what, what does it matter? And, um, so I, I leave it as is, but I, you know, like I say, I do frequently think about trying to like make something cooler, you know, sure, <laughs> which is absolutely <laughs> a mistake. Um, <laughs> I, I do a lot of collaboration also with the, uh, you know, with the Microsoft office suite and pages and, you know, like in my, you know, as a, when I'm wearing my lawyer hat, we're doing all sorts of change tracking and stuff like that. I don't know if that really qualifies as collaboration. A lot of time it's with the other side, but um, you know, working with words and being able to track changes is a big deal if you're a lawyer. Oh yeah. The one thing I've done recently with project planning, and this is kind of more, personal focused you know i've got all this data in obsidian and spread across my system but i felt like i didn't have like the personal kanban board you know the one where i can say okay what is all the stuff that i'm responsible for at this moment and what's the status of it and i could do that like with an obsidian page you know i could like make a a map of content page it shows all the active projects but I wanted something more visual. So I, I started thinking about actually making a Kanban board for one, you know, uh, just to keep track of everything I'm doing. Because as a lawyer, at any one time, I'm working on a bunch of different projects and it's easy to lose track of them. And Max Barkey is the same because I've got multiple podcasts, multiple field guides, all this stuff going on. And it's easy for something to fall through the cracks. So I spent a bunch of time looking at uh, you know, options like Trello and things like that to to build like a, I, I was going to call it a personal status board, you know. And while Trello, I think, is great for a team, I don't really need something that has a bunch of collaboration tools built into it for this problem, you know. So I came up with something else. I'm sending you a picture right now, Stephen. And I'm doing a blog post on this. We'll be able to link it in the show notes. But so I made something. Did you get it? Yeah. Is this in uh, OmniGraffle? Yes, that's exactly what it is. So, <laughs> so I built it in OmniGraffle, and the reason I did is um, I can do anything with an OmniGraffle page. I can change colors. I can move things around. I control the UI. You know, I control the X, Y, and Z. You know, and I made a sort of Kanban board for all the areas of my life. You know, and it really came out. I'm super happy with the way this came out. I've only been doing it a couple weeks now. Um, But this was just kind of to solve a problem for me. And if you look at it, and like I said, we'll put a link to, I I made a redacted version and I posted it on my website by the time this show posts. So um, you'll be able to go look at it. But the left side is, is Sparks Law and it's got, um, four columns, you know, active, waiting on client, waiting on others, and on radar. You know, things that are on my radar, but I don't need to worry about right now. 
And I just move all of my active projects around them with these little blocks that I made. And the block holds the name of the client and the specific project, and it has an OmniFocus icon in it. So if I click on the OmniFocus icon, it, it jumps me to the OmniFocus project for that. But the entire rectangle is also a link. So if I if I click on the, the rectangle that the OmniFocus is held in, it takes me to the Obsidian page for that project. That's pretty cool. As I explained earlier, on the Obsidian page, I have everything. So, um, and it's it's kind of like a Kanban board. It's kind of like a status board. And I also have them for uh, Max Sparky with all my podcasts and Max Sparky stuff. Then I have them for specific uh, field guides that I'm working on. And so I'm tracking them. And I even have a small one for personal projects I'm working on. And all this is done with just an OmniGraffle page that I made. And if you've ever used OmniGraffle, you know that they have these really excellent guides in it. So when you move things around, they always align with each other very easily. Yeah. And it's very easy to like change a color or add a, a hyperlink. So the the you know development of this idea, it took longer to come up with the idea than it did to make the thing. You know? mm-hmm. And then OmniGraffle has this really cool feature called preview mode. And that's with one of the more recent versions that they added. But if I hit Option Command P, it it's almost like the presentation mode of a spreadsheet of a uh, key of a presentation. You know, um, it just basically puts the page up on a full screen, like if you were going to put it up in front of a group of people. And all those hyperlinks are live when you do that. So I just, you know, I keep this running in preview mode twenty four seven as the last space on my computer. And I can go to it at any time and see the status of all my projects. And I can click on any one of them, and it takes me to the Obsidian page or the OmniFocus link. And then I also added links on the kind of macro level for Airtables and um, Basecamp groups and things like that as well. So um, it just gives me like really a, a status board and kind of like mission control setup on all the stuff that's on my deck. Now, with a with a traditional Kanban, there's usually a column called completed or something. This doesn't have that. When I finish a project, I just delete the little block, you know, because I'm always adding blocks and deleting them. There's no real data here. This is just links to a bunch of other data, you know. Yeah. So when I finish a contract for a client, the fact that I delete the block here doesn't delete any of the associated data in all the other places. But it's now no longer active, so I don't have to worry about it. So it just kind of disappears and, you know, hopefully if I'm doing things right, new blocks are showing up and I'm, I'm staying busy. Um, but anyway, so I set this up and it's really kind of personal project management because nobody else sees it. I don't share it with any of my team members, but it's kind of the stuff that is on my radar. And man, this has been really helpful. That, that, that's really cool. Uh, version two of this should just be like eight stream decks plugged into each other. So they're all yeah. the buttons cool. <laughs> yeah, I could do that too. I mean, <laughs> I actually thought of a lot of ways to do it. What what kind of inspired me to do this was um this Cal Newport book about the world without emails. It's a good book. I would recommend reading it. But it's interesting because the examples he uses are all very old. He talks a lot about the you know initial changes in manufacturing and how much it improved and you know how comparing that to where we are with computers right now. But he was talking about the Pullman car factory, you know? Yeah, yeah. And they uh, they had a copper works there where they do all the copper work, and it was a complete mess. 
So they had a management guru come in there in like 1910, you know, <laughs> and they literally took a huge wall of the factory and they basically built the original Excel spreadsheet on the wall of the factory. And they just had these big, you know, pinned tabs that they would climb a ladder and stick on the wall to show who was working on what at what time. So it was like the original spreadsheet. And, and I thought that would be really cool for me. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just get like a whiteboard and stick it on the wall. But then I have this gigantic monitor and I thought, well, I think it'd be more useful if I could use it as a source of links and jump around with it. And so I wanted it to be digital. And I, I looked at a lot of tools. There's a bunch of different Trello stuff out there. I could have done this with Trello, but um, I think it works better with OmniGraffle because I don't need the tools that Trello has. And um, and I can really control the way it looks. I want it to look nice because it's something I'm looking at every day. And like with OmniGraffle, I can also see that like I can open it up on my iPad and it looks just as nice and the links work. Like at least the links to, um, to OmniFocus work. The links to... Um, Obsidian don't work yet because Obsidian's app isn't out of mobile app isn't out of development yet, but it's just really great. And um, this has been a really helpful tool for me. I, I am, I'm in the honeymoon phase with this where I just love it so much. I guess in six months I should report back, but I don't think this is going anywhere because like on Monday morning, I can just look at my board and say, okay, what's everything that I have that I'm waiting on a client for. And I can fire off, you know, I I can see right now I have uh, like 10 items that need that I'll just take, you know, a few minutes and send off an email to each one of those clients. Hey, still waiting on this. Mm -hmm. And I'm like right on top of things. So it's great. Um, Real happy with it. Yeah. I mean, what's nice about this is that it, because it's visually laid out, it is almost an easier way. I would think it's an easier way to jump into any, any of these things as opposed to wading through your task manager or even through obsidian. Yeah, exactly. It's like the really important stuff. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by our friends at Pingdom from SolarWinds. While you've been hanging out listening to MPU, how would you know if your website had gone down? Would you know if your customers couldn't click that Buy Now button or access your content? You could stumble across the problem by luck, or maybe someone would take a second to send you a note but you need a system for this sort of thing. You need something to tell you when everything is running smoothly on your site and more importantly, when it's not. You need Pingdom. Pingdom detects around 13 million outages every month. That's more than 400,000 outages every single day. Pingdom helps keep your sites and the sites you love online. It doesn't matter if you're a startup or a Fortune 500 company. You need alerts about critical website issues. Pingdom lets you customize how you're alerted depending on the severity of the outage. Plus, they track and analyze your website's loading time so you can see what's affecting your users' experiences. If you have a website of any size, you need Pingdom. Pingdom has a no-fuss approach to getting started. Get this, all they need is your URL. That's it. You give them the URL you want to monitor, and they take care of the rest. Go to pingdom.com slash relay FM right now for a 30 day free trial with no credit card required. And when you sign up, use the code MPU at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom from Solar Winds for their support of the show. Well, we've got some additional topics that didn't really merit their own like segment, but I thought it'd be fun to check in on. 
Um, do you do brainstorming stuff? I do a little bit. Uh, most of it falls into the category of what we talked about earlier of like relay skunk work stuff. And so that'll either be just like in Markdown or in an outline or in Trello. If I feel like it's mature enough to to earn a Trello board. Um, I know a lot of people and I kind of know, you know, I'm going to spoil what you're going to say, but you say my node. I, I just don't know if that works for the way that I think. Um, most of the time, just like starting from zero, I'm starting in like an outline. Yeah, if you go back into the Mac Power Users archives, one of my favorite episodes was the Cooking Ideas episode, where I kind of shared my workflow for generating, like brainstorming and thinking over time. And that, I mean, one of the reasons we haven't really gone back to that episode because my workflow really hasn't changed. I, uh, um, when I'm working on like developing an idea, I open up my node and I just go back to it every couple of days, and my subconscious mind does all the heavy lifting for me. Mm-hmm. And just the kind of the open nature of mind node makes it the perfect tool yeah. for that for me. Dude, that was episode 82. <laughs> I know it's been a long time. <laughs> it's a long time. I, I, I really, I feel like I should do something with that episode. Like maybe that should be a field guide or something. I don't know, but I've had so many people tell me how much that episode helped them in terms of this type of stuff. But I mean, there's really no magic to it. I just feel like your brain just needs time to cook on something. And if you start something like this and you come back to it every few days, it just gets better over time. It's like you don't have to force it. Mm-hmm. But you got to start early enough that you have the time to do it. You can't do this if the paper's due in three days, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, th- so often that's how I think, right? If I'm sort of in that mulling over stage of a project, very often it's that it's it's a background thing. And I'll have those thoughts as the day goes on or I'm in the shower or I'm stuck in the carpool line or whatever. And uh, that's fine. You know, I'm not actively sitting and thinking about it, but that time is really important to letting that be possible what you need though i think the the key second piece of that is you have to have somewhere that you write it down and keep updating it and and yeah. my note is a tool i exist with but you could just as easily do this with a markdown file or you could do it with a piece of paper you know on your desk but but i feel like you you have to like track it as you develop it if you say well okay now i'm going to think about it more but i'm not going to write anything down your brain gets stuck in a loop i think mm-hmm. writing it down lets you move on yeah Agreed. Writing, you know, that's a thing we both do a lot of, but we talk about it so much on the show. I think everything's kind of out there already. I largely do my writing in drafts. Yeah. My quick notes are either handwritten or in something like taught. And then when it's time to like do an article, it's uh by word on the Mac or one writer on the iPad, which are basically just uh markdown editors. I, when it comes to like actual like working with words deeper, I'm multilingual. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I do it all. I word pages. I, the next field guide is going to have like a PDF written component, and that was all written in Ulysses. Um, I do a lot of writing in Obsidian because they're Markdown files. Uh, some of my clients, we do contracts in Google Docs, which I'm not a huge fan of because I don't like Google security, but but they want it, so I go where they are. You know. I even use paper once in a while. So hmm. I, I can use all of the tools, but it, usually if I just want to start writing the friction, uh, drafts gives me two things. First of all, the low friction of getting started yeah, and just this massive tool set on the back end where I can automatically import into Ulysses or send it to mail or whatever. So like when I was talking about earlier, when I go through that status board and fire off a bunch of emails to clients, 
I write all those emails and drafts and then I send them out of drafts so I don't get hung up in my inbox. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about billing? That's an important part of the business. You don't really have a company if no one pays you. Yeah. Not very long at least. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I had, I went through a couple like legal specific billing services when I got started and the problem was I've got, because some of my software developer clients are international, um, getting paid from people in Asia or Europe is actually kind of difficult yep. through most traditional ones. Uh, so I stumbled onto Harvest, which uses um, makes it very easy to get international payment. And it's not very expensive. I think it's like it's under $200 a year, and they send invoices out. It's not ideal, honestly. I use it, So I use it for the law practice. Um They've got a, a Mac app where I can track billing, and they've got an iOS app, which is nice, and the invoices look pretty. Everything's good. The one big complaint I have about them is that if somebody gets behind, uh, the traditional legal billings will show your prior invoices and the current invoice on one invoice, saying like, okay, you owe $10 on this one, and you owe $50 from last month. Mm-hmm. I have to resend the last month one yeah. to harvest it. And um, so I don't really like that, but... It's, you know, it's, it's managed the international payment problem so well that I've been fine with it. And the idea of switching out of it is just gives me a headache. So I probably will never <laughs> switch out of it. <laughs> um, I did find on Max Sparky, like dealing with sponsors for Max Sparky. And I was too clever for the longest time where I was making bills in pages and tracking a spreadsheet and numbers. No, nah. no, <laughs> oh, man, don't do I, that. <laughs> I realized I lost so much money doing that because like I would forget and it wouldn't get tracked. And like some people sponsor my website, never got an invoice, you know? And then I realized that six months later, and what do you send an invoice six months later? You know, no, you know, so, so I spent the money, you know, um, on, uh, fresh books. So I decided to run fresh books and I've been actually, I like fresh books better than harvest, but you know, because, I don't want to switch. I, 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 so I pay the month money every year to FreshBooks and do all the Max Sparky invoicing through FreshBooks, and it's really solved a lot of problems for me. And then the law practice is through Harvest. There's something to be said for having your two businesses have different invoicing systems because I have Relay yeah. and my personal business, and they're both in FreshBooks, so I'm constantly changing accounts and being very careful I'm logged into the correct one. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we've, I mean, Relay's used FreshBooks from the beginning, and uh, it's gone through a lot of changes, kind of a lot of development over the seven years I've used it, and it it works the way that I want to work. One thing that I really like about it is that it's reporting infrastructure. So not only at the end of the year, but like that example of maybe someone's behind on invoices, like it's just really easy to build reports out, and then you can export them as a PDF and send them to somebody, or you know, have, have them available to your accountant or let your accountant log in with like a special login. And so I really don't have any complaints about it. Um, they have an iPhone app. It's okay. Uh, I don't generally ever use it. Uh, for me on my phone, that's logged into my business. So if I'm out, you know, in the pre COVID times doing some consulting or something, I can create an invoice in the field really easily, but anytime it's time to like do stuff, um, I'm doing it just in the browser and it, and it works well in Safari. Not all of these always do. And they do a pretty good job of, of keeping Safari happy, which I'm glad for. Yeah. I put calendars in here cause I think it's just so key to what we do, but we did a whole episode recently on contacts, calendars and tasks. Um, 
I uh, one thing I didn't say on that episode. While I primarily use Fantastical, it's my favorite app for this stuff. Like scheduling meetings with Fantastical system, where I can send somebody proposed times and it reserves that time on my calendar. Is like that's enough to justify the annual subscription to me. Um, but one thing I've done since that episode is I like the Fantastical as a full screen app, even on my gigantic monitor. Um, because it gives me so much data and I've, you know, I, I've been evolving with this gigantic monitor and how I manage windows. And now at this point, what I've got is the center, you know, the main screen is just a, a desktop and I have a bunch of window management tools I use to move windows around. And that's where I do my work. That's where Microsoft word is or uh, podcast planning is or field guide recording or whatever I'm doing at the moment. But if I swipe to the left, um, I've got the fantastic how open with 14 days as a week view. And that's the most useful view to me, you know, because all my calendar blocks are there for the next 14 days and I can move things around and schedule things very easily. And if I swipe to, and if I go swipe to the right, then I'm back on that open screen where I do my work. And if I swipe to the right one more time, so this would be screen number three. Um, I've got that omnigraphal status board that I just talked about. So, my screen, I have three screens now, you know, Omni, uh, um, Fantastical 14 day view, then my working screen, and then the OmniGraphle preview of that status board. And um, I'm real happy with that setup right now, but, but you know, getting back to calendars, um, Fantastical does not let me run two instances of the window. Uh, you know, so I've got the main screen to the left. So now I am running the cal- native calendar app with the day view which has a little bit of real estate on my main working screen. Okay. So that's like your, as the day is going on checking in. And if you need to do real calendar business, you go over to full screen. Fantastical. Yeah, exactly. Okay. It's a shame they don't offer multiple windows support. I've talked to them. I, I think it's probably coming. Good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, my calendar stuff is, as it was in that episode. So I think I'll just point people there. Yeah. Uh, one thing I wanted to kind of finish up on is with our work stuff, a question I frequently ask guests is, you know, what is your mobile versus desktop balance, you know, for the actual worky work you do? Where do you stand on that? It is almost 100% desktop, um, whether that be my actual desktop or my notebook, um, almost 100% Mac OS. And I, I mentioned this some point previously, but I don't know if it was the pandemic or what, but like my iPad usage as little as it was, has just fallen off a cliff and uh, maybe it's the M one MacBook pro being so good. But uh, for me, it is almost entirely on a Mac. Uh, and if I'm not at a Mac and something comes up, especially communications wise, cause I have Slack and discord and everything on my phone, uh, then my phone. And honestly I can do a lot of my administrative stuff from a phone. I mean, I'm not recording a podcast on my iPhone clearly, but a lot of the administrative stuff or planning stuff, you know, Google docs and Trello and all these things work great on the phone. And so that gives me a pretty good set of tools with me when I'm not at my desk or don't have my laptop with me. Yeah, I am. I am more mobile friendly than you are, but, um, I do believe the M1 has, and the existence of this amazing laptop has got me doing a little more work on Mac than I used to 
that I used to do on my mobile. But for me, it's really context-based. Like file management only happens on the Mac, as I talked about earlier in the show. Yeah. Uh, but like there's certain workflows that I prefer on mobile. Um, the contract review and annotation I prefer on an iPad over a Mac. Um, having an Apple Pencil and a big screen iPad is a better way to read a contract for me than trying to sit in front of a monitor. Um, so it just depends what I'm doing. Uh, there's some stuff that's kind of agnostic, like communications. All the communication tools I use can work easily on either device. Um, I like a lot of a, a key element of my my workflow is re- project review. You know, I really need OmniFocus has that feature where you can have projects show up for review on a, you know indeterminate amount of time. Yeah, and I need to do that because I have a lot of clients and a lot of things jumping there and the status board is great, but I still need to make sure nothing else falls through the cracks. And for whatever reason, I love to go sit out in the backyard, you know, bring a nice drink and sit and do project review every few days. And it feels good on the iPad. So it just really depends on the context for me. So um, I think I'm definitely a multi-platform user and I'll continue to be so long as the iPad has some experiences that are better, but I'm not really religious about it either way. A lot of the stuff I do can work on either platform. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most of mine can too. I just prefer the the Mac method usually. Yeah. Well, uh, that was a lot of workflows there. (laughs) (laughs) Did we do this just so you could get that that joke as a title? I'm going to plead the fifth on that. Okay. Okay. Plead the fifth. (laughs) Yeah. But I bet if you're listening, you have some cool workflows too. Um, We'd love to hear about them in the forums. Go over to talk.macpowerusers.com. Sign up, join in. We have an episode. We have a, I'm sorry, we have a post for every episode. So this is, that would be a great location if you've got some cool workflows in any of these subjects. We covered a lot of ground today. I know there's a lot of different ways of doing things. So we'd love to hear about it. We want to thank our sponsors for today's episode. That's our friends over at 1Password, Radial Development, Squarespace, and Pingdom. And uh, real quick, before we go, uh, we'd like to share something about another show here on Relay FM, and that is Clockwise. Uh, Dan Morn and Micah Sargent host it. They invite two guests every week. Uh, David, you and I have both been on it. And the uh, the cool thing about, about it is intense because you get four tech topics in 30 minutes. And so you've got to uh, got to keep the thing moving. you got to keep going. Uh, it makes it a lot of fun to listen to. Uh, I do not miss it. Uh, you can go to relay.fm slash clockwise or search for clockwise wherever you get your podcasts. We are the Mac Power Users. You can find us at relay.fm slash MPU. Those forums, once again, are at talk.macpowerusers.com. And we'll see you next week.